0: Hey dude and welcome back to Music Industry City's Tuesday's Talkies where we discuss what's going on in the world of music business. I'm Peter Schwing, and joining me are my co-hosts Sam Tall, Aisha Damos, Stephanie Carlin, and The Duke. If there's something you'd like to chime in about, please leave those notes in the comments below. So today we're going to talk about virtual reality in the music world. Trump's music choices has musicians hiring lawyers. How to use the time we've got to really connect with others and how your belief systems will produce results on your behalf. We got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Last week, Music Business Worldwide reported Napster was sold to Melody VR in a 70 million deal, including 45 million owed to record labels and other partners. Also, Jay-Z's title made VR concerts bet, buying $7 million in tokens from $100 million back in Corporation. Napster, to the surprise of many, still exists with 303 mil- million users, and Melody VR has acquired them to combine a music library to their video catalog. Melody VR CEO Anthony Matchett said, Melody VR's acquisition of Napster will result in the development of the first ever music entertainment platform, which combines immersive visual content and music streaming. In addition to Melody VR, Tidal spent $7 million to acquire access to broadcast their content with Sensorium Galaxy, due to be released next year. Here with his thoughts on this is Sam Tall. Sam, how you doing? Welcome back. I'm good, Peter. Thanks for having me back. Great. Well, you know, I love this stuff. So, and the fact that there is virtual currency inside the Sensorium platform, kind of like Twitch bits. Yeah. I see this as a great plan, but are music fans ready to adopt VR into their lifestyle? I don't think so. And here's why I think that. So far, every
1: VR experience, every virtual space, the meta space that uh, sensorium is talking about. This all comes from a similar sort of presentation, as we had Second Life. Once upon a time, which I think is still out there kicking around the internet, we have Fortnite as like this preeminent platform for events now as opposed to just a game. It's a social meeting space as much as anything else. And sensorium uses the same engine, it's, it's using the Unreal Engine four, which uh, is how Fortnite's built Fortnite being a product of Epic Games who develops the Unreal Engine. It's kind of the underpinning of most video games these days, actually. So I at this point, like I understand there's maybe a little bit of a psychological hurdle to becoming a Fortnite player, and that being your token access to concerts. But I don't know that we need a whole other platform for this yet. I don't know that we have the technology. I don't know that consumers are able to, get on board with this, like it's a huge hardware demand to to experience something in VR, to get involved in that. I mean, the Oculus isn't selling that well. Um, maybe this is something that helps kind of nudge that along, you know, move the ball forward. But is this the thing that gets us to a future of VR concerts? I really don't think so.
0: And, you know, what, what's interesting to me, and, and you to, it's like, are we ready to adopt? And there are two barriers to entry is one is the price point. Okay, so naturally you have this price point. I mean, the most inexpensive is like the Google, like the cardboard box. Okay, mm-hmm. but you really want to get into it, and then you're talking about bandwidth technology. So yeah, there is high sure. demands, but like you know, take like a platform like Steam or something like that. And to use an example, my friend who's a DJ and now she's a VR creator, she started doing these virtual, uh, creating these like you know DJ boots in the sky and everything. Now. I'm technically savvy, I'd like to think, uh, and I know a little about computers and VR and uh-huh. all this stuff. And she was telling like, okay, people, you need to go to, WA- go to Steam, then you need to go to Wave, you need to download this, then you need, if you don't have a fast computer, borrow your friend's computer. I used it on the desktop, and I couldn't get upstairs to the DJ booth. And mm-hmm. it's, and I know what I'm doing. And she's, I talked to her after. She's like, oh, I was fearing that because, you know, the first timer is like, you had to make a friend with somebody. Didn't you read the instructions? I'm like, I didn't see instructions. And it's that happened serious. in that, and there was that con- conference, uh, the concert that they did inside a Minecraft Wizard a few months ago. And people were complaining about getting their money back because they couldn't get to the concert. Right. It's not a one to one. I think people are expecting this to be a one to one. And that's, mm-hmm. It's
1: such a misguided principle. There's no replication for being physically in a space, for feeling the sound hitting your chest, for the experience of a live concert. Now, we can have ephemeral performances. That's what live television has always been. Uh, And I have no problem with that. I have a a huge argument with people who – Are trying to present this as a proxy for the real world because we don't have a real world to entertain ourselves in Mm -hmm. I understand the frustration. I just don't think I think we're rushing headlong into something that doesn't exist. Maybe I'll be proven wrong in the history books. I think we definitely need people on the vanguard to push this forward and and figure out what our path forward is we have to experiment we have to be willing to fail and take risks and all that kind of good stuff very on board with that but I don't like the notion, trying to sell to the consumer that this is the new concert of the future when that's categorically not the case. I also, frankly, from a business perspective, I think there's a lot of just mm, sort of confusing and self-dealing stuff going on here. And here's what I'm talking about. Let's look at Melody VR and Napster for a second. So, you know, eventually... You know, I think the whole thing with Napster was like, eventually, this is going to be a vehicle for something. Eventually, we're going to turn this into uh, an asset. Obviously, we know where Napster started, and now we see where Napster kind of ends, right? Which we've, we've waited a long, a long time to see how this story plays out. Apparently, with $45 million in uh, payables on their books, I'm sure the ownership was just like ready to unload it. And here's a company that makes over $100 million in the past year and being sold to a company that makes less than a quarter million dollars, you know, in their most recent bookings. So it's like there's clearly like a dumping of a dead asset here. And it's like, here, you think you can do something different with this? You can be the latest owner of Napster. Go for it. Have fun. Um, But I'm sure the ownership is just ready to
0: cash out. For whatever almost along the almost along the lines of say like MySpace, it was like here just right
1: exactly. Just That's keep exactly going. what came to mind. It's like here's a thing that sold for a lot
0: of money once upon a time, and now is sold on a fire sale. Right. Okay. And 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 yeah. it's not real estate. You when when they're talking about acquiring something with a forty five million dollar debt, it's not like debt is equity of where like in real estate you can carry that into an equity. This is true debt. Oh yeah, for sure. Like and, this and is so a you could have the creditors makes... knocking. <laughs> who knows how much their costs are? And then
1: here's my my final feather in the cap for this. The title thing is so strange to me. Why would they buy $7 million in cryptocurrency to access a platform? I don't, like that. Like, what's the play here? I think there's a lot more that we have to know about this first, but there's a couple of facts that we want to keep in mind as we watch this play out. Number one, Jay-Z still spearheads title, regardless of who operates it, regardless of who the other artist owners are. Jay Z still kind of like the face of title as a facet of rock nation in some respect, even if they can say it's separate, it's really not. Jay Z used to be a minor, a minority partner in the Nets with Mikhail Prokhorov, who founded this uh, sensorium startup that's apparently based in L.A. for some reason, instead of, you know, Europe. Um, So there's a lot of sort of like buddy, buddy you know, out of one pocket into the other going on. And uh, I get it. That's fine. You know, everybody's got to find their new venture. Um, I just, I want people to be careful when they look at a platform like sensorium and a play like title Title's been struggling to compete in the music streaming market since its inception. VR is still not very prime for the market. Mm -hmm. I think artists who can take advantage of a system that benefits them for their own sake. Great artists who think they're going to be involved as some kind of marquee partner in a new launch of a thing, don't hit your wagon uh, to a dead horse. That's all I'm
0: saying. Hey, right. and we're going to wrap it on that. And I, I agree. I mean, and so so you, got, you have people that have money to play with that. It's like, oh, this looks cool. Let's buy a new toy. So, and see where that goes. Exactly. So thanks, Sam. Thanks. Uh, glad to have you back. And we'll see you again next week. All right. So uh, NBC News recently reported on an article titled, Trump's MAGA Music Has Rock and Roll Icons Crying Foul and Hiring Lawyers. In it, they discuss the outrage from musicians such as Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young over their use of music at his conventions. Even the Rolling Stones are filing a lawsuit which states The BMI have notified the Trump campaign on behalf of the Stones that the unauthorized use of their songs will con- constitute a breach of its licensing agreement. If Donald Trump disregards the exclusion and persists, then he will face a lawsuit for breaking the embargo and playing music that has not been licensed. And here with his perspectives on this matter is the Duke. Dave, how you doing? Chilling, man. Um,
2: doing well. That was fascinating. Um, little blurb right there. Um, yeah. Yeah, man, that's that's yeah. really interesting stuff, you know?
0: Yeah, and this has been an ongoing issue. So it's not just with Trump, but with many other campaigns. So, you know, what what's your take on all of this? It's a strange thing because it's like music
2: is for everybody to enjoy, right? And so, but then it's like you can only enjoy it in privacy. You know what I'm saying? Don't bring that outside. I don't want to see you playing my music outside. And then on the other coin, I totally understand because on that level, on a Trump level, right? Not on a YouTube level. On YouTube, people take songs all the time and they do whatever they want and nobody cares, doesn't really show up on the radar. But Trump, if he uses like, you know, they're coming to America. It's like, so, you know somebody gotta get paid, you know what I mean? And um, if you don't do that, then you have lawyers just waiting. They're just waiting to wait up, wake up in the morning and be like, yes. We got something to do today guys let's jump on a conference call it's gonna be a rad day so you know you got to play the play the game as it is but then flipping back to the other side of the coin one more time that music is to be enjoyed by everybody and it's it's really strange to, that we could maybe possibly live in a world of these colors and uh you know parties and then to, be, to say like you know this is music for these people and this is music for those people and let's not mix the music together you know my daughter loves trolls trolls too um you know the the troll's world tour it's all about bringing the music together you know and there's the one troll queen barb she just wants everybody to play rock and she just kills and conquers everybody you know no techno no nothing only rock and then of course at the end they sing together and it's a it's a beautiful world of trolls but um i would love to live in that troll world as well here in the earth on the earth.
0: <laughs> I I love it, and, and you know. So two two things there. And f- first, with your daughter, uh, are you familiar with the Finnish band uh, Heavy Metal Saurus? Mm, no, that's a great name though. You you got you got to dig up heavy. You got to go on YouTube, find Heavy Metal Saurus. It's a metal band that they're all dressed in dinosaur costumes. And straight on metal, it's great and it's geared for children, so it's like you know, get the, get them into metal and hard rock at an early age, love it. You <laughs> so, know, I've been telling me I had Pantera Metallica on first since she was born. You already know this, <laughs> <laughs> love it. So, you know, one thing, and you know, going back to this about like there's and there's other like performance royalties, so at the convention. There's the space that has to have licenses with the, the PROs. And then if you are an event producer, you're supposed to get another license for these public performances. So it's not necessarily always covered under the venue's license. So there there is this case of like lawyers can step in and say no. And, you know. The, it's that feel like yeah. You know, I mean music's open. should we should we allow anybody to use it for any purpose once we put it out there? or should we have like you know you're an artist? Would you want your music used in certain areas? Like if you're getting like if you want to get a sync uh, you go to your, your publisher and your sync company, you say, I'll allow my music to be used in all of these, but here are the exclusions. Should that be the same for campaigns?
2: i don't know man you know what i mean like i personally am not so attached to my music in like maybe a more spiritually buddhist way to say like maybe they're not my songs the universe you know i was the vessel of these songs and if somebody's over there and they like the song you know i, I don't want to take things from them, but that i'm not everybody i'm not bruce springsteen i'm not neil young and they can do what they want but the, the one last thing is what about the remaster doing a new master of it so if, if neil young says i can't use you know uh uh, the rock song, yeah, I forgot the name of the one. Um, I played a million times in the bars, but um, uh, then some. But can I re-record it and have somebody else sing it? Can I use that master? Then it goes
0: back to the ASCAP BMI thing, where it's like, no, you can't, and that type of vibe. Yeah, and that and, that, and that's more uh, legal stuff. So thanks again, Dave. Uh, it was great seeing you, and uh, we're going to head over to uh, I so, so there are a lot of things that make the list. Of takeaways during this time of the pandemic. But at the top of that list is surely a renewed value and for the time we have with the people around us and valuing presence makes us both makes the work better. To talk about how to use the time, we've got to really connect it with others is Ayusha Damo. Ayusha, how are you? Good, good. Hey Peter. Good, good. <laughs> You know, for some people, they haven't seen friends or had that after work drinks in almost half a year now. Can you believe this, this is six months? And, I can't. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's crazy. Uh, you know, we're in September, so uh, it's tough to and it it makes it tough to feel that connection. So, you know, I'd love to hear what like, you know, what are you thinking here?
3: Well, you know, I mean, like you just said, this is September, this is fall, this is back to school, this is all the things that, uh, you know, you know, the end of summer, all of those things, and here we are still dealing with the pandemic situation, and we've been dealing with all of this and the repercussions of the pandemic for a minute now. I know that there are a lot of things we're learning from all of it, but I know for a lot of people, this particular thing, the separation has really highlighted the need for and the joy of connection with others. And I'm not just talking about artists and their audiences either. I'm talking about people like my roommate who has been returning to the office twice a week now. And it's just her and just a couple of other employees in her company, but they are so joyful about going back to the office even six feet apart, just seeing people in the office. And it's a joy that none of them ever expected to have about going into the office, but they're feeling it. I think this highlights you know, how the things that we do in a day are much more than just the things we do in a day. It's more than the things we accomplish or check off the list. It's doing these things with others that is really what counts. And this pandemic has brought that to the forefront on a personal level, um, I attended a viewing this past week for someone that was close to my sister who passed away. And what was most striking were all the photographs she had put around the room and ones that her, the family um, had brought. Pictures of these moments that weren't just about a checklist or achievements, but they were about everyday joys of being each other's company. I think that even in times like these, when distance is a necessary safety, there are still ways to connect with one another, whether it's a present and, you know, fully being present in a nod to a stranger who's passing by or a much needed phone call to a friend or a long string of text messages back and forth to another bestie that you're watching a movie with. (laughs) I've been doing a bit of that. Um, in the middle of the film festivals, it, it brings people together. And maybe it's that focused thank you to a cashier in the grocery store. These little things that are, that are making the fabric of our lives. I mean, these are the important things, the artistic things even. It's, it's a great exercise, I think, to tune into and be present for connection, even in the smallest seemingly inconsequential moments. And I'd like to propose that these are the real ingredients of life, the ingredients and the work of a real artist. So I think that, you know, this week, if you can make it a practice to see, you know, and be in that kind of presence and connection with others, uh, even in the places that seem the least important, important, because one of the gifts we have of this time is realizing the value of the small encounters. I think I don't know. These are the places where the artistic and life essence lives. And we're in a way lucky to have this time, if we're lucky about anything in this time. We're lucky to be able to realize what it's all about.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. You know, you, you set a point there, like the memorial service, and it's really interesting now that you think about it. You don't find when, when you're when you, you go to a memorial service, you see the pictures, you don't really find it's like, oh, they accomplished this, they accomplished this, they accomplished this. It's all about friends and family. And yeah. that's what's really interesting about, like, you know, you don't even think about that. But when you point it out, you look back and you realize, yeah, every nothing was to do with accomplishments. I mean, yeah, of course, some people might say like, and they did this, but... those photos are friends and family. So, you know, reach out, watch a a Netflix movie together or Prime where you can share, you can watch it together. And even while you're distanced, it's still a way to connect because you can watch a movie together, you can chat, you can talk on the phone. So it's keeping that connection going.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's a great place to make your creative work from too because that's meaningful to people. And it's especially meaningful to people right now. Because we need those little things to hold us
0: together. Just give that little extra outreach and say hi and pop in. So, all right. Thanks, Ayushu. Thank you so much for that. And now we are going to move on to, we're talking about how your belief systems rule you and produce the results on your behalf. Stephanie Carlin is here to share a few tips on how to separate your beliefs from who you really are. Hey, Stephanie, how you doing?
4: I am doing great. Thanks for having me, Peter. As oh, it's, always.
0: It's, it's well it's, Oh, I love having you here. It's great. You know, it's uh you know, everybody's awesome. I, I, this is fantastic. So, you know, one of the things that it's like, you know, they say if you keep telling when you when you brought the, when you sent this to me, the idea, the topic, and I was like, the first thing that came to mind was like they say like you keep telling yourself like you're going to fail, you will find a way. And is that like a long lines like, you know, what say you on this?
4: So I totally agree. And I say that there's one thought that halts everything, every daydream and every vision. And it's when we think, "Mm, is this really possible? And that's where our beliefs come in. And I call them belief systems, but you call them reality. I believe anything is possible, like no joke, no kidding. But then people argue for their limitations, but your beliefs, your limiting beliefs you don't even question them. They're just your truth. They're just your reality, except that it is an untruth. Um, and, you know, I'm really called to the word freedom all the time. And I just had a client who just scored her first high ticket client as an artist. And she said, you know, now I know why you're always talking about this word freedom. I didn't really like that you talked about this word freedom all the time, but I feel so free. And it's such a deep word when we think about how our beliefs are this like invisible layer of Saran wrap that keeps us from grasping our dreams as a reality where our dreams are right there. And we stop ourselves with some variation of the thought. Yeah, but is it really possible? The economy, the blah, 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 like whatever argument you have for your limitation. Well, if you can free yourself from your limiting beliefs, then you can create new realities and it's the ultimate freedom. And, It's why you show up here. I'm talking to the artists here who want to have this career in creative entrepreneurship. You want time freedom, financial freedom, the freedom to impact as many people as possible, the freedom to scale and be spiritually huge as you know it is your birthright to be. And I bet if you were asked to go to work as an artist in a corporate environment and like do your art in that corporate environment and make twice as much money as you're making right now, I bet you might say no because you have such a commitment to freedom. And this is where we wanna start, in the truth that anything is possible, everything is possible, and your only work is to disappear the beliefs, AKA the false realities that are in the way, keeping you from living, breathing, knowing, feeling true freedom on a daily basis. I mean, we wanna be on the hunt for the logical reasons why something isn't possible, the excuses, the stories we tell ourselves, the explanations, why it won't work, why it's not the right time, why you're not ready yet. See how you see your artistic brilliance, your art as a business, your art as a vehicle for international change will determine what is possible for you because you know how that age old saying goes, your thoughts become your words, become your actions, become your reality. So, I'd like you to take just one reality that you don't like about yourself as an artist or a creator. And I'd like you to fantasize, fantasize. What do I want this reality to be? It's hopefully currently outside of what you know as possible. And then I want you to speak it like it's the truth and feel the discomfort of altering your reality. Because the truth is you are 100% responsible for your life. You are 100% responsible for your artistic career, not COVID, not the government, not the venues, not the management, not your Spotify stats, not your YouTube numbers. And it's time for you to own your power and have belief in its profound value. So that's what I think.
0: Right on, awesome. I mean, it's, you know, people say like, you know, I hear people saying that, you know, when I was doing some, you know, coaching, it's like, they're like, well, you know, I can't do what they're doing. And it's the end. My, my question is why not? I mean, they weren't born learning how to do this. They taught themselves, and you figure out that path. And you, if you see somebody, and I mean, don't compare somebody else's, you know, that's five years ahead of you to your day one. But the fact is they had to take steps to get there. And a lot of times people that are looking to achieve that goal are frightened because they want to be, they want to go from zero to a hundred in one week and they're wondering why they aren't seeing those results. But it's also those years of grind. But you know, to keep pushing yourself and believe like I can do this, I can do this. I just have to go that next step, that next step. Well said. All right. Well, then I'm going to leave it at that. So uh, then that's it for today. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation, leave your comments below. And if you find this interesting, hit that subscribe button and ring the notifi- notification bell to be alerted about new shows. You can also find us at musicindustrycity.com and on your preferred podcast player. I'm going to work on that alliteration of those podcast players. So at Thank you again to our hosts, Sam, Aisha, Stephanie, and the Duke. Have a rocking day and see you next time. Peace.